heroes to the Crit Academy Social Distance Podcast. <laughs> I am your host, Justin. I'm your guest, Matthew. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Austin. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but either is our D&D games. <laughs> nope. Never. <laughs> Actually, never. Uh, that's funny. Um, so as you can tell, we are doing something a little different. Uh, we are following the pandemic guidelines recommended by pretty much every person in the science community. So we, (laughs) we are streaming virtually today. Um, That being said, if you have followed our show, if you're joining us for the first time, thank you. If you end up enjoying the show and you would like to support us, visit us at critacademy.com and check out our Patreon page. Some of our best selling D and D, uh, supplements uh or just subscribe to our newsletter to be entered to win the fat loots that we give away every single week now thank you (laughs) thank you for joining me uh joining us today here at the crit academy studios where everyone's laid off and i'm still in my pajamas (laughs) speak for yourself (laughs) oh i'm 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 laid off so yeah Uh, yeah yeah (laughs) i'm i'm still working yeah, but, you're the only one that's working out. Because I think you're right essential. <laughs> Actually, you're the one I'm scared of because you go everywhere and meet people and take pictures and video and shit. No, I don't. Uh, isn't that what no, you, you do? You what just... do you do? <laughs> I thought you worked for the news. I do, but I spend most of the time at the station because I edit the morning <laughs> show. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep. Yep, that's right. Uh, your roles are like Wildmount without the Mighty Nine. <laughs> oh, man. Yep, the Mighty Nine. If you do not watch Critical Role, shame on you. Well, not really shame on you. More or less, why don't you know who Critical Role is? Anyways, uh, I'm really excited about today's episode. We're going to be coming covering the um, Explorer's Guide to Wild Wildmount. Um, mm-hmm. That is Very the exciting. campaign setting for the very popular critical role podcast so uh before all that we're going to move to our let's talk about blank segment i have a really interesting topic for discussion today you guys did you guys see this yes unfortunately (laughs) it's it's an art it's an article from screen rant called dungeons and dragons five most badass classes and five of the weakest now which is where i'm a little like "Mm." Yeah, so I want to keep it. I don't want this to run too long, but I had a lot of feelings on this because, first of all, they don't tell you what the metric for what badass and what weak is. I mean, yeah, you could argue if they're assume you could assume that they're talking about uh, damage, like strength of it. Yeah, because yeah. it if it's just DPS. I mean, I guess I can understand Fighter being at this number one spot because he just gets four attacks. And if you're, depending on which route you take as well, you get just ridiculous damage. Right. But Ranger at weakest then is like, why? You get a Hunter's <laughs> Mark, you get all these other bonuses that you get from, depending on which subclass you take. Like, Especially the Hunter. Yeah. So, like this, I, I don't know. So let's go through this. So at number 10 here for the weakest, they picked the ranger right 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if once again, we don't know what their metric is, but I agree that there are some builds with the Ranger that are very, very high damage, especially the, is it the Hunter? I think it's Hunter. Uh, I think, it, yeah. Where you get the, the, uh, the extra D8 when you hit something that's injured on top of your weapon damage, on top of your, uh, yeah. Hunter's Mark. I, yeah. Like, you can Pretty just... Much deal ridiculously consistent damage i don't know why but even then like even stuff like gloomstalker right like right. that is such it's not a raw combat class but right. you can do so much with it uh like they're like oh yeah because i think it's in here uh it feels too classic and it's difficult for people to not fall into traps of doing the same tropes over and over again but like you also with gloomstalker can set up traps and you mm-hmm. can hide so absurdly well yeah. That you could even say you hide better than the rogue in some cases. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> like, that is that's crazy to me. And then even if you wanted to go like super crazy, you can I think expertise you can it's like a is that a feat you can take? Like get expertise in one that, skill? I don't know that there's a feat for that, but you can multi class to get it, I guess. Yeah, and even then you can multi class. So like I don't know. Like if you I, really wanted to go overboard. I wanna point out a couple things. A I've seen all 13 classes of this edition played effectively. B, as you get to point out, they did not give their guidelines for how they came up with their metrics. Yep. C, at no point do they even specify which edition they are talking about in this article. You know, I didn't, I didn't even, even notice that. that. <laughs> I, I just assumed it was 5th edition because some of the pictures are from 5th edition books. But yeah, you're right, I guess. Yeah, it I says guess it Dungeons doesn't. and Dragons, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so aside from the, the ob- all over. yeah, <laughs> I mean, you mention it in the wizard, which I verified by doing a quick search, but other than that, they, they don't. And I, yeah. And admittedly, there are some additions where some of the classes listed are subpar and vice versa, but it's like, at the end of the day, I feel this is very opinionated. So, yes. and that's why I want to talk about it because, um, I think that, to categorize the classes in a way you need to really without setting bounds you're really setting people up for failure for instance i personally think the ranger is a fantastic and powerful class so i don't consider it weak i consider it less dps especially when i pick the beastmaster but mm-hmm. you get a shit ton of utility that comes from it um oh, yeah. and yeah. that's the trade off utility for damage and you can't have both or what's the point i do have an idea about it though um like when i know that this article is opinionated but i think it's opinionated because um i'd say it's like a majority of people who have a similar circumstance don't know how to use these classes very well tactfully i mean i I can can see that I could see that too because Rogue is in weak and it's on the number four spot, right? And yeah. I love Rogue. And I know that Rogue is like, what the fuck sometimes? <laughs> uh, like, they, it also says also magic also makes any of their sneak abilities not as useful. What do you mean? So they can sometimes feel a bit weak compared to other classes that they might come against. And I'm like, how? Because you have evasion, which is, I think, by and large, still one of the most absurd abilities in 5e (laughs) yeah as a dm i can totally agree with that (laughs) like everyone (laughs) had to get each shit with like an eighth level fireball that explodes in their face the rogue can just 
triple flip out of it and be just land on their feet and be like, oh, that was cute. I envision him like when uh, Luke Skywalker takes on that barrage of attacks and just dust it. And he just does one of these. Just like, oh. Totally. Um, and <laughs> judging uh, the other thing that I think is interesting, and I think this is what honestly, and this is just me haranguing on uh, Ian. One of the things I noticed is that the barbarian is considered weak too. And their argument was can't use magic and they are mostly useful for hand to hand combat. They are also harder to individualize in interesting ways. That is couldn't be, <laughs> that couldn't be farther from the truth. Oh yeah, I, Come on. yeah. barbarians can be all sorts of like you can flavor so much shit with barbarians. Like, I always wanted to think like if you could because you could do something super cool with it, right? So instead of you like taking half damage because you're just so angry that the blade inside you is just like nah, it ain't I ain't feeling it. Like, what if you're like Ultra Instinct Goku? Like, it only nicks you because you're just so in the zone of fighting. It just goes like, <laughs> That's speaking how I of feel Goku, about it. Speaking yeah. of Goku, you could be, uh, as a barbarian, you could be as dumb as Goku for everything else except combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and like, I don't know. Well, that the, just makes me sad. The other thing they talk about is how they're not flexible. Also, if you want to know how much flavor a barbarian can have, go back and listen to Fifty Shades of Rage, where we talk about literally <laughs> yes. a dozens of ways to make rage interesting. Yep. Um, yeah. But it says it's not flexible, and I, I disagreed with that because if you look at the different archetypes – they do a variety of different things, whether it's the, is it the storm Herald one where you get like aura energy around you or some shit, which is so cool. (laughs) Um, the, the totem one gives you all these different features depending on the choices you pick. I mean, there's just path of the zealot literally makes you a God. (laughs) 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 Like, so man, pretty darn close. It makes you you like X-Men's the juggernaut or something. Yes. Literally literally after a certain point when you get those unlimited rages, right? You can rage while raging. You can activate rage while raging. (laughs) So you can reset your rage when you're making death saves. So you get to redo those death saves with infinite rages. So you literally as the path of the zillet, you can't die. (laughs) At least for a little while. (laughs) No, because you can keep raging. You don't have to go in combat when you're at that point. You can just keep raging nonstop until you just literally just don't die. Until someone heals you and you're like, oh, I can calm down now. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Because uh, at one point you can, there's no limit on how, okay, I get you saying. There's Mm -hmm. no limit. Got you. Um, You just wait till the ninth turn and like, I activate rage again. So they do consider. Although you stop raging many cases after you You don't don't take damage or don't attack. So. (laughs) And beating yourself in the face does not count. I've learned that. Or <laughs> friendly fire. Friendly really? fire might fix that. Are you sure? Friendly fire could work, right? As long as because I think the damage. only requirement is take damage. Yeah. Or so the wizard. Damage. So the wizard is behind the barbarian. Everyone's knocked out. All he's got is his firebolt cantrip, and he's just pointing it at the barbarian. <laughs> Kicks the ass, buddy. <laughs> Keep fucking fighting, buddy. He's just fucking pissed. Like, if you I stop, don't die. know what's happening. <laughs> Um, now I'm giving this article a lot of flack. There are some um, ones that I agree with. Um, they mentioned the cleric as badass and you know, it right along with the wizard. They talk about how it's got interesting backstory and customization options. To me, I'm starting to think that that's the metric they use to make them badass because the wizard has all kinds of schools you can choose from. The cleric has a like what seven or eight different domains, but is that really what makes you badass? Nope. Yeah, I was gonna say, but then Bard is also one immediately after that. How can you not like 
if that's suddenly the metric of being able to like you know do cool stuff with it bard is yeah. quite literally that personified like their first lines is yeah. where the cleric is a magic class that has some unique capabilities and interesting spell bard kind of lacks in these areas which is <laughs> what they so, literally can take spells from other people's spell list yeah and on top of that also have unique capabilities and interesting spells given their features where they can literally shout at a person to do worse <laughs> so i don't know Number one spider, we all agree. Yep. <laughs> well, I'll admit, though, my, my one gripe with the cleric is the fact they don't have a attack cantrip. They have save cantrip. I don't like that. I made a post about that on the DM on the DM uh, DM's group saying, do you prefer uh, saves over attacks? And there was a surprising amount of people that their response was, oh, saves are the DM's job. I was like, you don't think that's more boring, though? I mean, come on. Right, like but, I don't know. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, obviously they did click um, mark the fighter as number one, and you can find the link to this article in our show notes or Google it yourself. But um, overall, I thought this was a really interesting article. But I really wish they would have did more than like a paragraph or mm-hmm. in a sentence about their reasoning for that choice and the inaccuracy of some of the choices. Was kind of just like, well, that's not accurate at all. Did you actually play the class or read the abilities? Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah, that's my that's one of my other questions for the people who write this article. There's just uh, so many questions that might get unanswered. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's made. This was written by Amanda Steele. So send send your complaints to her department. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. So I think that'll do it for our let's talk about blank segment. Um, (laughs) before we move on to our honor or before we move on to our main topic, the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, we have a wonderful gift to give away compliments of our sponsor, Laura Smith. Austin, would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. This is the modular dungeon tiles, Arcania from Lore Smith, as previously mentioned. Modular dungeon tiles are an easy way to create your own beautiful digital maps. The Arcania lets you make dark, shadowy dungeon maps rich with fumes of arcane secrets. Maybe they'll find a sword. Maybe a demon. Uh, that's your choice. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Who is our winner today? <laughs> it would be... Uh, oh, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Horus of Oz, I'm going to guess. That I would agree with that. Woo! Yeah. So, yay, Horus of Oz. Congrats. Congratulations, uh, the Horus. modular dungeon tiles, <laughs> Horus of Oz. Um, we hope you all enjoy that, the product. All that we think of is, I think I found the uh, YouTube channel where a lot of the Warhammer for the K gifts came from. <laughs> if the Emperor had a text-to-speech device. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're following us and you didn't win. No need to worry. We got you guys covered. You can actually head on to CritAcademy.com slash Loresmith, and you'll get some free digital terrain as well as some other really neat stuff. So definitely Woo! check them out. We love giving away fat loots here on the show. Um, Just like not in our D&D games. Oh, yeah. No, I'm very – I'm such a stingy asshole. <laughs> In the very beginning of the game, you're like, you guys can have all of this shit, but don't expect anything else. <laughs> you I want did... a potion? Find it. 
buried up from six feet under in a guy's grave. I'm just like, oh shit, all right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much like that. But I did let you guys, I gave you guys a plot point this campaign, and I right, let you use character options, stuff. which yeah, are like so micro I mean, feats. You can go back and listen to that episode too. Yeah, we, um, got, we got a lot of stuff. So. I mean, it so definitely balances out. Yeah. <laughs> So, so uh, many possibilities. I basically already told what I'm going to do with mine. Just a question of when I'm going to do it. Right. Oh, right. I, I have an idea when I might use mine. Maybe. Depending. <laughs> so I don't know what I just came into, but I just saw liches and we need pinups for liches and jockstraps. <laughs> what the hell is going on in chat? <laughs> That's uh, oh, oh my god. <laughs> Well, <laughs> anyway. put it in uh put it in reddit and i'm sure someone will make it <laughs> all <laughs> That's right all I... <laughs> so it's on. been done <laughs> <laughs> moving on to our main topic explorer's guide to wild mount um if you don't know the explorer's guide to wild mount provides everything that you need to play dungeons and dragons on the continent of wild mount if you do not know this is actually one of the continents in the uh, exandria setting uh, which is the campaign setting of Critical Role. If you follow that sort of stuff, you'll know that they also release, is it Tordorai? What is the other? Teltorai, that's the one. Teldore, Isilra, Marquette, and... Gosh, what was that last one? I was looking at it earlier. Yeah, nobody knows. I don't know offhand. I was impressed somebody knew more than the two. But what is Wildman? It's a land of war, betrayal, and swashbuckling. What's really cool is it's comprised of four different regions. Uh, Wild Mount provides endless, you know, potential for adventure in the land, brewing conflict, and incredible magics. Um, what I thought was really cool is that it has such a big focus on the tension in the political climate between uh, a couple of different things, specifically the the Dwendalian. Is that how you say that? Dwendalian. Dwendalian Empire. And the light worshipping waste folk of Zorhas. Did I get that wrong too? Zorhas. Uh, you gotta put a little Jorha. J. Yeah, yeah I don't do that. So I'm going with how All it's right. spelled on my paperwork. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what makes oh, this cool is it is just a massive, vibrant backstrop for any Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Now, Absolutely. the one thing that uh, I thought was really cool, actually, before we get into the nitty gritty uh, about the book, um, Overall, do you guys want to each kind of give us your personal um, uh, feelings of kind of what you saw and read through and what you know about the campaign setting? I know we all are sharing one book, so it's kind of we have a very uh, limited time with it. But uh, I'd love to hear what you guys think just from the off the old dome. Ian? Full disclaimer, I don't think I was actually I have to be able to get my hands on the book three ahead of time, unfortunately. So it is what it is. Um, if only somebody had s- said you could come pick it up. <laughs> um, I mean, I just flipped through it. Uh, I there was so much information for one. Yes. I want to I want to put that out there real quick as like like there is no way that we had enough time to actually read through all this. The no zero time. Uh, oh, that's that, fine. It's. I'm pretty sure it's bigger than like the player's handbook and even like the guide to Ravnica. Like it's, it is. It is pretty it, huge. Yeah. Uh, That's what she said. 
Um, but there, I mean, we're going to go through a lot of it anyway, but I, one thing that I don't immediately see on this that we can uh, refer to is there's actually a map. A nice oh my God, yes. In the back of it, and it's gorgeous. Yes, it's <laughs> From what big. I could gather. Yeah, it's... I got a tear. I haven't torn it out yet, but it looks nice. It reminds me of the yeah. one that came with the, uh, uh, the Dragonized. Oh, oh Dragonized? Okay. The Avernus. There's oh, one. Yeah, the... Is there one in Avernus? There is one in Avernus. Uh, but Clear, I think... Clearly, I didn't pull it out then because I didn't know it was back there. Uh, but both of the maps are really good, and this one was no exception. Yeah. Like this is, it is definitely on par with the rest of them. So right, I was really sure. excited about that. Um, what about you, Matt? Um, I was looking at it earlier um, the past couple of days, and I can read this online on D and D Beyond, and <laughs> um, there was a lot of things here. There's um, there are races. Some of them are familiar with. Uh, that I've seen on the show, some that you can see in the player's handbook, but some of the races um, actually have a backstory with um, the oh, campaign know. setting. I forgot that they did. Yeah. One yeah. example was one example was that was the uh, Dragonborn. There are two different types. The gosh, what was it? I know that one of them is the Ravenites, which are tailless dragon uh, Dragonborn. Interesting. And the Oh, uh, what was it? I would have a name, but the book's so goddamn big. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, here it is. Here it is. The Dracon Blood. They're basically like aristocratic magic casting uh, Dragonborn with tails. Yep. Which I oh. love because that, that to me is very close to one of the reasons why I like half dragons versus dragonborns because I love having a tail. That's why I also love the tiefling. Um, mm -hmm. So the one thing that I really liked about this, you mentioned the races. Um, they don't reinvent the wheel. Um, I don't, no, there, there was a few, there were mostly subclasses. I don't think I, or mostly sub races. I don't know. Yeah. What, I don't think that there was like a brand new actual race. Was there? It's Not, just reflavorings. Huh? I think of ones that exist. Yeah. Like, I was gonna say, I didn't see any when I flipped through it, yeah. but I mean, there was the one that was, uh, I mean, we're going to talk about later and I'm really excited to talk about it, uh, yeah. which is the hollow one. Um, but nothing that was, that stood out to me right. anyway. Um, what is cool though, is they utilize all the stuff in the player's handbook, but they give you a unique backstory that mm -hmm. applies to this setting, which makes some difference to me. The most notable one was the orcs. The orcs aren't automatically just pure evil bastards out to destroy everything. Um, yeah. now I've always played them that way, but to have a setting <laughs> recognize that. Yeah. is pretty awesome hmm. um yeah and i think there was a there was a role-playing aspect uh during the critical role's current campaign when the party actually visited jorhas and a member of their party is a half orc and he was raised up in an orphanage and he actually meets this blacksmith uh half orc and um this npc was just giving um the half of the party um a talk about don't be ashamed of you being a half or just own it <laughs> don't be ashamed yeah that's kind of cool though because it's not like he was immediately again this goes into like there, he's not just some in the eyes of that blacksmith he wasn't just a guy who was going to just all about savagery murder bloodshed blood for my blood god kind of guy yeah no this guy was a he's like oh hey this, this was here. a sane Half-orc blacksmith in Jorhas. Think like, about it. He was like, hey, 
don't be ashamed of what you are. You're a pretty cool dude. We're both pretty cool dudes. Steve says, you as smart, you as pretty. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a lot of really great stuff in this. First, the one thing that I thought was really cool is this book does something I don't think all the rest of them do. And it focuses in heavily on the relationships of the different kingdoms and how mm. they treat each other, how they interact, the sorts of issues that are ongoing between the different factions. So if you're looking to run a political heavy um, sort of campaign where massive battles are, are the, the difference are the result of you failing to make a perfect negotiation. This is probably a book you're going to want to pick up regardless if you follow the critical role show or the content, because you can easily change those names out and those ideas out for your own homebrew setting or even in the forgotten realms. Um, yeah. There's like, there's like a dozen different factions and societies in the book. Yes. Yeah, like like there's that is so much going on at, yeah. at all times too. And what I think, and I'm not sure if it's actually already in here, but I don't, don't see it in here. No, but I every left it single, very general. okay, um, every like um, like city or town in uh, Wildmount, uh, if you go in through the book, there's so much information on every single city and town. It tells you like the population percentages of like who's in there, it tells you uh, kind of what's going on, what kind of crime rate they have. Yes. Uh, that is huge. You touched on the one thing that I I've not I don't think I've seen before is the fact that there's little segments for each area of the actual types of crimes that are notoriously going on in those areas. It's not just, hey, there's crime everywhere. It's this is a very specific type of crime that happens here. So for instance, in the many hosts of Igarthed, I don't even know what the hell that is. Probably but close. It's, it's like 40% goblinkin, 20% orcs, 15% humans, and they break it down by the population, which I think is cool. So it says yes. uh, here that the uh, some of the Aurora Watch soldiers keep the peace and manage the day-to-day -day quarrels within Ithgrathed. I don't know how to say that. However, the majority of the hosts... Uh, people are expertly trained warriors so they both handle their own problems and make it that which makes it difficult for any law enforcement to impose <laughs> any laws on them the idea See, that's cool too <laughs> i love that it says the idea of attempting to punish it or incapacitate a criminal ogre uh, or anger giant keeps all of the strongest uh keeps all but the strongest for basically taking a post here in this location so obviously to the, to the way this tells me is the regular sorts of like brutish kind of conflicts probably aren't going to be as common as something else because everyone else can stab you pretty easily or can slit your throat, you know? Mm -hmm. Now that's a unique one just because it's not mostly humanoid, but they get right. into all kinds of different types of crimes, you know? Like this one for Broken Vale Marsh says that the society within the village operates without money gold or emphasis on uh, Ooh. Uh, any sort of precious stones, um, which instantly changes what's a value. What do you think becomes mm -hmm. a value when it's not gold, precious stones and money? I have to think favors. Ah, right. Nailed services. It. Yeah. Yes. So favors, bargaining services, all those things start to become part of, what drives the crime in in the area so i imagine being an assassin would be haven in there right because 
Like, you don't even do it for the money. Like, now they owe you because you literally just ended someone's life. Now, depending on how much they value that in that city, that could change things heavily for you. Right. And you could instantly become the richest man without having any money at all. Like, think Actually, about that. Um, I think there's like a an island chain somewhere in Alexandria. I forget what the name of it was, but it's it's basically an island chain version of Baldur's Gate, which I think would be Ooh. perfect for what Austin was mentioning. Ooh, that is cool. Boat assassins. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, vampires. <laughs> what were you going to say, Ian? You're talking about the currency. I kept thinking about like John Oliver's sketch about how they talk about how Scotland's old currency was cheap and physical violence. <laughs> <laughs> I offer two. I offer three sheep and a punch in the face. Take it or leave it. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Now it did just occur to me that we were talking about the relationship between stuff. I think Ravnica did a pretty good job of that oh, too absolutely. with the guilds. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it I just didn't go into like. Uh... Like the cities and how they uh, interact with each other, whereas Ravnica is kind of just this big, overarching world where guilds just kind of own places. I don't think it had really any like towns or cities that specifically uh, said what kind of crime goes on, because obviously the guild owned it, and that's probably what kind of crime went on. Probably, uh, yeah. So, um, so once again, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of going on here. I would say half of the book is all about the lore of the world, which you would need because it's an it's a setting book, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. But don't let that deter you because there is a lot of stuff in this book that goes beyond just the the just the setting itself. Yeah. yeah. So, there's even there's even a calendar system in this book. Yes. I did not know that. And can we just wow. say that it's awesome that it's on ten months and not twelve like our shitty one? Though that might be true of Forgotten Realms too, I'm not sure. No, I don't Taco know. Taco says for bargaining spices, food, building materials. I can get behind oh, that. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Food is definitely a big one, right? Because not everyone has that has shit. Be, yeah. Um. Yeah. So one of the other things I want to talk about. Do you guys look at get a chance to look at any of the unique uh, um, subclasses? Because there's one specifically I want yes. to talk about. Yeah. And I know everyone wants to talk about it. It's the mesmer. Yeah. Well, the Echo Knight. Yes, but it's a mesmer. <laughs> But yes, I won't. I refuse. I refuse to call it uh, Echo Knight because it's a mesmer. Guild Wars the Two Echo did Knight it first. Sounds so cool. It's it an echo of you. It definitely does sound pretty uh, cool. Um, so I kind of jumped ahead a little bit in our show notes. So don't. Uh, that's okay. Don't shoot me for that. I'll just do it out of order a little bit. Uh, it'll be a lot out of order because yeah, I'm just going by what I'm looking at. But mm -hmm. um. So who who wants to tell us what the mesmer or the Echo Knight is? I'm no. The Echo Knight, a mysterious and feared frontline warrior of the Crane Dynasty, the Echo Knight has mastered the art of using dunamis to summon the fading shades of unrealized timelines to aid them in battle. Surrounded by echoes of their own might, they charge into the fray as a cycling swarm of shadows and strikes. Now, go ahead. I love the fact that it says it used unrealized timelines. Yes. That is so badass. I was just about to get in it. So in order to understand what he just said, you need to understand what Dunamis is. Now, to mm. me, this is fantastic. Is it Dunamis? Dunamis? I don't give a fuck. It's still dumb. I mean, it's still cool. <laughs> um, so in order to understand that, uh, the, the, the whole idea is that every choice and every crossroad you come across and you have to make a choice – in potentially some other timeline, that choice was made. <clears throat> and basically what you're doing is you're ripping 
the essence from those paths. I don't know if that's like a multiverse thing. Um, and pulling it into the reality. Now these illusions and some, even some of it's magic too. You're pulling Mm -hmm. power from these other potential, these what if moments is what I, and what I think they're what if moments. If you went left, what happens if I would have went right, but I went left. So I can't do nothing with it. Well, they're harnessing that energy and twisting it into spells. And in this case, into echoes of the person because it is them. Right. So right. What I was envisioning when I was seeing this is the warrior is up against an ogre. The ogre swings its great axe. And for an instant, the fighter envisions himself jumping over it instead of ducking. But at the last second decides to duck. I imagine him activating his power and then this shadow appearing after it leaped over his blade on the other side of him. Because right, so it like splits off like this, yes, right? Because that's... So cool. <laughs> Either one of those choices could have been something he would have did. And that just, it blew my mind. It's such a cool of, idea. I'm thinking of something like Peter Pan's Echo or something. Or not Echo, Shadow. 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 Yes. Well, I would the say script, that's pretty cool. Well, the description made me think of uh, the Mistborn series with uh, if somebody can see Etsy and where they can see a few seconds into the future when they fight. Yeah, when, when the... Uh, the, the, the Go ahead. It gets even more chaotic when both players can both see like self seconds at the same time because then it just creates fractured timelines that both people can see it at once. Like, uh, crap. I'm gonna be honest. I was so hung up on Mesmer, I totally forgot the 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 Mistborn Adium or Adium or whatever it is uh, thing. That is a really great example of that, where your shadows of all the possibilities of what you could do happening in an instant, and then you just pulling one of those to help you. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Could you imagine if you were the echo into someone else's echo night though? Could you imagine like that as like a like a weird like role play opportunity? Like you're being yanked out to <laughs> to be pulled into some other echo night. Just like you're an echo night too. He's like, yeah. How'd you get here? That well, would... I'm your echo. <laughs> um. So now to understand, uh, these things only have one hit point. Yes. But they're like immune to conditions. They're immune to, um, I don't remember everything, but they're immune to. A- a lot of shit, except for being, like, a tap. The Echo is a magical, translucent, uh, gray image that lasts until it is destroyed or until you dismiss it with a bonus action. You uh, And if you manifest another one, it just dis- dissipates, right? Yeah. Um, or you're incapacitated. Now, it says it's immunity to all conditions. Um, and if it has to make a saving throw, it uses your same stats. So, uh, it does have a static... Uh, um, AC that's different from your own where it's just 14 plus your proficiency bonus, but shit, mm-hmm. that's still 16 at level one, but you yeah. don't get it to level three, but it's still, what is your, I think your uh, proficiency bonus is still two there, but, um, and like, even then, like, could you imagine having a proficiency bonus of six towards the later levels where now oh, it's yeah. 20? Like what the hell? <laughs> yeah. And you, you do get an extra one uh, at a higher level, but what I think mm-hmm. is really cool <clears throat> much like the Mesmer, <clears throat> you can teleport and switch places with your echoes um like as a bonus action i think that could be interesting to solve certain puzzles so like for instance maybe you do the whole like all right you jump on my hand and i and i throw you up right well you do this with your echo you shoot your echo up and he grabs on and gets on top and then and then you disenchant your echo and cause another one now you both are up there i uh hadn't considered that i was just thinking about all the cool ways that it uh that you I can care- stab somebody? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Well, no, just like, what if, uh, 
you drew like a maybe you maybe you allow uh, bombs because I know that there's guns and stuff in in in, this, yes. in Alexandria. Maybe you've got a TNT bomb and you're holding it and you're like, we're both gonna die. Psych and switch places with your freaking shadow. Or your Could you echo. imagine your echo looking at it like you son of a bitch, and then it just blows up. <laughs> and fizzles. Uh, what do you do? You got. Is there any other uh, points on this? I don't want to get too much into the mechanics. We'll be talking about it all night. But... Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's an- enough for me. I could go on about it, and that's kind of the issue. So we'll, yeah. we'll, I'll keep you there for now. <laughs> How about we start? How about we continue by going to the hollow one? I I agree. Fucking love the hollow one. <laughs> so why it don't is... you tell us why? Because it is a character that is pretty much dead, but he's not. Because he says, fuck you, that's why. Uh, well, kind of, but anyway, the, it's a character who perishes in the course of the campaign, and you know, it, it they might return as a hollow one, uh, created by this mysterious forces that like Scarland. So basically, it's like this magical being that's kind of like you. It kind of the land itself pretty much told said you you're not going to die yet, <laughs> or right. maybe you won't die at all. Um, it's a supernatural gift that bestows upon a character's special traits. Most notable is the cling to life feature, which is if you're making death saves, you're all 16 or higher, you just get up. You're like, all right, I got one HP, I'm back. And, and I that's don't, so easy. And I don't think that has, like, I don't think it needs a long rest or anything, does it? Um, the feature, uh, it doesn't um, say there's any limit to my knowledge. Does it? I don't it think does it, not say, I'm looking at it now it and it doesn't yes. say that. It, it's his, it also has an active ability, I forgot, which can cause fear into somebody. Because yeah. you're just on, you're just this kind of dead guy looking at some dude, and he's like, I don't like that. <laughs> I do like the fact that it considers you a revenant uh, or a zombie undead thing for the yes. purposes of magic. Um, I do like that as well. So I was say that, that reminds me of the Revenant race from earlier editions. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. That is and very that, similar, isn't it? And for that matter, I think in the Dark Souls series, the fact that the uh, the player characters are called Hollows too, and they are mm-hmm. in the half dead state. So yes, uh, there's also, I mean, even like, no, yeah, that like that's kind of like what I thought of too. Was immediately was like the Dark Souls like Hollows. They're they're kind of like that in a weird weird way. So, yeah. Um, so the reason I think it's interesting is, um, your cleric is now going to have to be a little more careful when they use turn undead. Um, because it just, it affects each undead in a certain range of like 30 feet, I think. So I didn't think about that. (laughs) (laughs) So I could just see the party cleric be gone, fall beast of the watching Fred run into a wall. (laughs) He's like, ah, I gotta go! <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I also like if you're, like, a, like a newer player as well and you're afraid of, you know, like, dying, which, I mean, I guess all of us should be to some extent, but if you're a barbarian, probably not. Right. Um, <laughs> but I can imagine this would be, like, another, like, weirdly, like, beginner-friendly, like, uh, like sub-race, right? Right. I guess it's the... Is right. it considered a sub-race? I don't really know. No, it is just... Um, it's closer to a... They, they mark it as a supernatural gift that your DM can bestow upon somebody. Okay. Uh, honestly, for me, it's a... Oh, shit, I TPK'd you. Guess what? <laughs> You're all hollow ones now. That'd be fun. <laughs> Could you yeah. imagine all, right. all, like, these dead guys, like, we have a mission to accomplish. And, like, this guy who we were supposed to meet is like, what the fuck happened to you guys? <laughs> Face is all gray and pale, and your eyes are all white. And... <laughs> so cool, though. Yeah, oh, have you guys cool seen the artwork for the Hollow One? Yes, yes and it looks it's awesome. It's gorgeous. 
See I if would I can get love... it on the camera there. Uh, hopefully, yeah, like that, like the swords in his chest. He's like, I don't give a shit right now. <laughs> oh, and that'd be another really cool thing about it is you can do that kind of stuff to your players, right? Oh, the sword went easily straight into your chest, but you only oh. it did nothing to you. You're I still didn't standing even think there. about that. That is so cool. Wow. Or like you're on fire and it just doesn't matter because like you're just dead walking already. into a burning building. <laughs> um. <sighs> so yeah, there's a there's a lot to this, and um, I don't want to. I don't want to have to go through all of it, but um, there are other things in this book that we're not going to cover. There's over 30 unique monsters and even a special, like, flying ship, I think. Um, yeah. And what's really cool is they found a way to make such a unique... Can I just give a huge shout-out to the writers? So, um, obviously, the lead was uh, Matt Mercer, but I just want to give mm. a huge shout-out to James, I think it's Hake, James Intercasso, my man, uh, and Chris Lockie. Um, you guys did a phenomenal job, and kudos to the developing team as well. Uh, managing editor Chris Perkins, what an awesome job. There is just, this is not just a, a product from uh, the Critical Role team and lead, Matt Mercer, but it's also from the Wizards of the Coast team, and a lot of work went into it. So kudos to you guys. Which um, also makes the world of Critical Role an official uh, part of the d d multiverse. Yep. Which is also cool. I'm cool with that, honestly. Yeah. I know there's some some old uh, old curmudgeons that would be like, why won't they bring back Dark Sun or, or Dragonlance? Or, well, Adapt it yourself. Yeah, go get the book you already have and just utilize it. <laughs> just modify it for 5e i don't know like, and really can't for, be that hard, right? for stories and settings you don't have to modify anything it's just monsters um right. but anyways uh speaking of monsters there are 30 unique monsters and they some of them are really cool even your favorite the blood hunter is in here i thought that Ooh. that was cool Interesting. Uh, so uh the one last thing before we uh talk about uh because i do want to touch on a few uh little details here in regarding to the magic but um there's a section called the wild mountain gazetteer and it is just a plethora of plot hooks for any D&D game. Like, oh, wow. I mean, yes, some of the words and stuff are specific to certain areas, but you can change those out and they become fantastic resource. So okay, I, yeah. I didn't even see that, yeah. Of my favorite part, that that's probably my favorite part of this book as a DM because I can use all of that stuff in my current campaign. I just might have to change a name or something, you know what I mean? And wow. that makes it a very valuable resource. <laughs> what I'd love to do is put all of these into like a random generator. Hey, maybe I can get uh, Casey back from <laughs> D and D Speak on here to make a random generator. Oh, uh, what? D one hundred of it? That'd <laughs> yeah. be cool. But uh, so the the last thing I want to touch on really is the 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 special magic. Um, they, yes. The Dunamancy is a special magic school. That they added, yeah, um, this is basically a school, yeah. Uh, which kind of gravity magic. <laughs> I I just want to point out gravity <laughs> magic is is like for me. There's like there's like tiers of magic. Gravity magic is like is like tier two. It's like right almost to the top where I'm like, yeah, that's, you can do some fun stuff with that. I think the top for me would still be like time magic because like you could do so much shenanigans with time magic. But like, yeah, okay, I can give you that. Time magic's pretty cool, but gravity. Although if you go to the awesome. actual science, gravity actually affects time, which is true. Yeah, but ah, that's cool. <gasps> if I have time stop, can I just reflavor as a Dunamancy spell? 
Probably. Do you want to just like make it like a weird like black hole or something where it just kind of sucks oh, in? Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, anyway, I've actually read all the sp- I've actually read all the spells in this book, the Dunamancy spells, and some of them are crazy. Yeah, so there's some really good stuff, but instead of going right to the high level stuff, I wanted to pick something that was really cool, but was something that I feel like because let's be honest, not everyone gets that high tier eighth level, ninth level oh, yeah. spells. No, yeah, so they don't. I don't think I've ever played a fifth ed campaign where we've ever gotten that far. Ever. We didn't we go to eight or fifteen? We got no, to twelve. We got to twelve, mm. which is still fairly high for most people's standards, yeah. admittedly. That must have been one. Of, that was one of my earlier games, because I know we made. I think we one of our campaigns made it to eighteen, but that was years ago. That was one of the first. I wasn't there for that. That was the first campaign I think I ever ran for fifth edition. Anyways, um, so uh, the one I want to talk about is called Gravity Sinkhole. Basically, so cool. You create a twenty foot radius sphere of crushing force that forms at a point you can see. It's basically yeah. a force energy like a... fireball. And it drags everyone towards the center, which That's is so awesome. Cool. Yeah, like, 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 should I tell everyone how much damage that the targets yeah. suffer? Yeah, five, yeah, 5d10 can... force damage. Yeah. Oh, and it's a con save. Yes. It's not even a deck save. Rogues are fucked. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> well, and actually, if you look at a lot of the spells in here, um, they are they do run off con, and I think that they knew that there's a shortage of spells like that because a lot of the different, gra- almost all the gravity ones for sure are con saves. But it kind of makes sense too, because how can you see a gravity spell, right? Like if this guy's yeah. just doing one of these, like. What what's that do? I'm like well, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, feel like strength is hit that much either. So yep. Well, don't That's worry. True. I'm I, working on it. I, I want to say I could definitely see a strength save being that as well. I maybe to pull right. yourself out of it. If it right, was like you're you're kind of like trudging through it. Like you're using your strength to like get through it. Yeah. I guess you could argue that. I, I could argue that with the DM, but I could definitely see like Constitution being the big one though. So I kind of just suffering that. it. I will add that I've seen this in action on Critical Role, and it was a and it was a killing blow to a Dwindalian scout, and it was a nasty seems like overkill experience. for a single guy. No, <laughs> no, I think it was a. I, I'd say it was a killing blow uh, in that regard, and this was an NPC, um, and I think he was the leader of the scouting party too. Mm-hmm. So I think it would. So I think the reason behind the caster targeting. The scout captain was reasonable to use a fourth level uh, dunamantic spell on the guy because it wasn't very pretty. (laughs) I just realized if you wanted to use this with like an eighth level slot, that's nine d ten damage. Ouch! Of just of just like a fireball effect, or you're just like I'm gonna crush everybody in this sphere. Goodbye. (laughs) Now I don't want to get too much into it. But there's a high-level spell here that very much rep- represents the ideal of what Dunamancy is, and it's called Reality Break. Um, I want to hear about it. And so basically it. you shatter the realities. Uh, you shatter the barriers between realities and timelines, thrusting a creature into turmoil and madness. And there's a and it's like And it's ridiculous. It's an eighth-level spell. Yeah, that sounds dope you have to roll on a d10 to determine its effects ranging from they suffer terrible visions from the far realm or they they experience the chill of the dark void 
which is just mm-hmm. it is really cool. So there's a and lot the, of does it deal um, like an absurd damage number either, or like does it multiple just... multiple D twelves? Oh, yeah, I think the Ow. the dark void is ten D twelve cold damage. <laughs> That's a lot. I guess it's an eighth level spell, but it's still like right. holy shit. And that's just be a roll a nine or a ten on the D ten for oh, the effects. Man. That so... would be fun though. Could you imagine just being like a I don't know, I guess like a sorcerer or a wizard, I guess. But like you're you're just like I'm literally going to cause so much catastrophic mayhem into your brain that you're just gonna you're just gonna fall and die, dude. I'm sorry. Yeah, Critical Rules current party has a wizard in their party. He's Ugh. slowly learning these spells, and oh, man, I can awesome. see him, and I can see him using Reality Break. I just love the name too. It's very RPG sounding. <laughs> <laughs> it's your turn. What action do you use? Reality Break. It's like what? <laughs> It's like Chaos Beam Blaster Sword. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so I think that's the majority of what we want to talk about. The the the, the Again, there's the, so much in here. Yeah, there's a yeah. there's a lot of new spells, the new class. There's new I think there's new uh um subclasses that we didn't touch on that specifically for the wizard that target and deal with the gravity magic and the dunamancy stuff. We also um, didn't talk about the new backgrounds that are in there as well, which are other player options. Um, there's also the uh, <laughs> tons of unique items that we just kind of just. Yeah, I did. I did pick one to talk about for the magic item. So, okay. um, but yeah, there's like 70 unique magic items. So, and just so we're clear, one, my big takeaway about this is anything that gives more options to players is always a win in my book. Yes. Always. And this definitely does do that. Not so much stuff that it's like splat books that are every month. Okay, Watsy, don't mm-hmm. do that. I like the rate you're releasing stuff. <laughs> don't increase <laughs> it. I can't afford that. <laughs> Agreed. Now, uh, it is worth noting that there is four adventures in this book for you to run. One of them recently we mentioned on our Let's Talk About previous Let's Talk About Blank segment that you can actually pick up for free on Roll20, but they're oh, yeah, very- uh... Yeah, I think it's frozen sick. frozen sick, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the artwork and uh, maps are beautiful, so kudos to the team. The stories are pretty cool. I only read two of the four because ah, I don't have all day. Um, yep. But uh, so it comes, it comes with good adventures too. So um, definitely, in my opinion, which take it with a grain of salt, is worth the pickup, especially if you're a dungeon master. Um, yes. If you're running a homebrew. There's so much content in here that can just make your world you can just, better. Yeah, you can just switch out like little names added in. Boom, you now have a fantastic homebrew city that you could just rip out from just in the innumerable cities in this book that yeah. you can just be like, I'm going to take this one because it sounds cool. Change the name. Now it's mine. Yeah, and I mean, all you have to change is the name of the city and a couple of the... the, You don't even have to change the name of the people. Like, for Pale Bank Village, it gives you a population, it distributes it pretty nicely, and then it tells Mm -hmm. you what the government is. It's run by an elf ranger named Elro Aldator. Uh, He is the appointed leader of the village, and he delegates tasks to proven friends and trustworthy allies. You don't really need to change that unless you don't let elves run rampant in your world, you know? Right. Like, again... We could, we could probably go all day, but... Yeah, we're not going the, to. That's the big stuff. <laughs> um, that we got to. So, I think that'll do it for our main topic today. 
Um, the Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount. Mm-hmm. Did we miss anything, Mr. Master of Critical Role? I don't think so. That's the right answer. Everything in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as much as we could. I mean, this thing is like right. It's two three hundred and four pages. So there you um, go. <laughs> that doesn't include the big giant map. Um. Yeah. So once again, kudos. <laughs> once again, kudos to Matt Mercer and the the team behind it, James Intracasso, James Hay. Mm-hmm. You guys just did some fantastic work. Um, on this book, and I hope that it is become is a super success. So, seriously, it's great. Yeah. All right, that'll do it for our main topic. Before we move on to our honor tips and tricks, we have a gift to give away. Compliments Woo! of our boy Jeff Stevens. Austin, would you like to tell us about it? Absolutely. This is from Jeff Stevens. It is the Villains and Layers Two. Not mistaken with three or one. Uh, revolutionize your games with this collection of 28 villainous NPCs, from Small Fry to World Ender, eight of which include maps and details of their layers, sinister side quests, over or terrifying overlords, bounties, one-shots, and more life in wait for you in Villains and Layers 2. Yeah. <laughs> Who's There's the winner, uh, Ian? Our winner today is Ben Wolf. Oh, so uh, <laughs> wolf. is that like a wolf in a sheep's clothing? Because a wool, wool. I got it. I caught it. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, congratulations, Ben. If you enjoy the adventure, please leave Jeff Stevens a review. If they didn't win, have no fear. Crit Academy's here. Head on over to slash Jeff Stevens and get Villains and Layers 3 for free. That's it for Ooh. free. Yeah, it's nothing. It's cheap. Do it. Take care of it. All for yeah. you. Do you know why we do this? Because we love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> With mouth. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I don't have any cool intro music or anything to toss in here. So we are just going to say we are moving on to our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Very I would, exciting. I don't know why I didn't bring my... Uh, tablet in here i probably yeah, could yeah, have yeah. no reason i couldn't have sorry uh sorry guys and <laughs> eh, whatever <laughs> so our character concept comes from kyle stakig ian would you like to tell us about it oh no not again yeah <laughs> i picked you again oh wait no that's the name of the ca- i'm sorry <laughs> fail <laughs> The character has lived many, many lives, but has no recollection of them. The only time they remember anything is when they begin an encounter with something that has killed them previously. <laughs> oh. At which point they say, oh no, not again. <laughs> they have no knowledge of any resistance, immunities, or tactics any creature that killed them has because, well, they're always the first to die. <laughs> However, the player had to have fun with this and uh, have uh, memorable deaths that their characters has, has had previously. Now, this is fun flavor. Oh, yeah. Oh, my and goodness. I'm thinking immediately of like, the uh, guy that keeps dying over and over again in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and keeps being reincarnated as something else. <laughs> <laughs> and he oh, always, 
Tommy always keeps being killed by the main character, Arthur Dent, throughout the, the series. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness. To tie this into our main topic, I totally could see this being a hollowed character, a hollowed one character. Yeah. Or even an echo, or like an echo knight where like the echoes had died and like oh. maybe the echo is scared. He's like, oh fuck, not this. And you're like, what do you mean? He's like, I've died to this could, thing before. And this could tie into the religion of the Kryn dynasty uh, with the Luxon and all that because be their religion involves reincarnation. Ooh. Oh. Okay. That's cool. Did oh, I did that. read about that. That was one of the, the big sticking points of their whole uh, their whole culture, right? Mm-hmm. Going on? Did not know that. In fact, the queen of the dynasty is a big believer of such a thing. Huh. <laughs> the more you know. So uh, Kyle actually gave us a few examples. I love this one. It says when you when he sees a when you see a bugbear for the first time. Oh, not again! I had my arms ripped off by one of these things. It slowly bled to death last time. <laughs> oh, that's brutal, dude. <laughs> or the. Uh, I mentioned, why do you hate me so much? Why? How many times you killed me? I remember back during the prehistoric era where I was a young rabbit who finally t- took my first breath of life and cut out the hole. And thought you stopped me with a spare and killed me. Only did you eat me? You turned my skin into a bag. My next life, I was a fly who was just flying around by his own business. Then you, you crushed me with the bag you made me out of my own skin. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. And, and he, he went on to this monologue. You get the idea. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love this character concept. It sounds like it will be so much fun. Um, oh, I know. The characters also eat the, uh, the petunia <laughs> that appeared out of nowhere and fell. That's why it's like, not again. <laughs> See, oh, um this is really cool i think it would be a great way to get a, a lot out of the hollowed uh, one uh mm. option or if you run the revenant uh is it a race or a sub race i don't remember i don't uh, remember offhand um i think it was in the unearthed arcana that does something similar where it they might were have been bad once no i think that was a it's a race it's not a sub race i think i think okay. it's a race from yeah. what I remember. I think this would make a great cleric. Explains why you're, you're so bound to your deity. They just keeps bringing you back to try again. He's like, all right. <laughs> you'll get him this time. Get him uh, back, get back in there, champ. I think that'll do it for our character concept. Let's all do a long, <laughs> big sigh of exhaustion. Because <sighs> our monster variant is from Travis Pace. It is the desert... Sharknado. <laughs> Are you serious? I am. Here we go. Uh, so from the distance, it looks just like another twister spinning its way across the desert, but upon closer glance reveals it to be made up of dozens upon dozens of figures caught in an infinite twirl of dust with teeth and claws. Now, <laughs> this is intriguing. Right. So... Uh, he gave us a bunch of really cool lore. I'm going to read the lore, and we're just going to talk about the mechanics um, briefly. But he says, After the fall of Netheril, the great sand sea of Anorak was left in turmoil. War was constant, and during one of these battles, two powerful druids faced off in an epic battle. I love that it's druids and not wizards, by the way. 
Kudos okay. to you, because it's always wizards. <laughs> One, harness the great power over the winds and the weather itself and create a massive swirling tornado of wind and uh, sand to rip the enemy forces apart while the other one used its affinity for animals and summoning to build an army of lesser elementals. In this case, the monster we're, we're using is Sand Method and powerful beasts known as Bulets uh, to attack Haran during the battle somehow unexpectedly. Um, the weave of magic was so unstable that a spike of magical essence coursed through the two forces and fused them together and a form a new threat that both destruction to both sides. Oh my God. That sounds awesome. <laughs> oh dude, <laughs> What is happening? So, uh, basically what he did is he took, uh, some of the core, ele- uh, features of the greater air elemental and the dust method and combined it with the swarm rules and then every so often you spit out a bullet that comes flying out of the thing. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. Now this is a high CR. He's got it at a CR uh, nine. Um, but you could lower the AC. Oh, excuse me. You could lower the AC and the, the hit points to make it a little weaker. But I love the idea of this being less about a monster and more of just like a, a terrorizing event that happens to desert towns. On regular basis where like every so often this giant twirling thing just comes up. Hey, there's more bullets. They're constantly hiring uh, hiring uh, adventurers to fend off the bullets. Everything they got is made out of bones from the bullets. Out of the, oh they God. eat their flesh. They use oil from them. You know, Ooh, yeah. I, I love this being less about a monster and more about like this just disaster that just kind of swoops <laughs> in. What do you guys think? I think that's hilarious. <laughs> it's just so right. <laughs> So silly, but it's so D and D. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's what I think. What makes it cool? It's just like, yeah, I could see this. I could see two players being idiots, and they're like arc druids trying to fuck around with against each other, and like, oops, now we just created a, a desert sharknado. I don't know what to do about it. I don't know. <laughs> could you imagine going back to your leader? Um, sir, I've got good news and I got bad news. What's the good news? Well, the other army is destroyed. What's the bad news? So is ours. But now I've got worse news. There's a giant twister throwing bullets at us coming on this way. <laughs> oh my god. I can just imagine the commander's like, what the fuck happened out there? Yeah. Oh, the first, a... came, the first thing that came to mind for me is um the meme that's been going around the past this past week and a few D and D Facebook groups of uh basically drew something water el- water elementals and something sh- sharks inside the water elementals. <laughs> I did see that. I wonder if that's where this came from. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, it's definitely it very anyway. it's very interesting. The core abilities you're going to want is the Swarm feature, the Whirlwind, and now the on initiative 20, a Bulet is flung 15 foot out of the elemental in a random direction and lands prone. The Bulet only has one HP once it lands, um, but... I think this is fantastic, and honestly, it would just so chaos at any table. Oh, absolutely. If you just want some random crazy shit, this is it. This yep. is the one. For sure. Uh, I think that'll do it for our monster variant, the Desert Sharknado. Thank you, Travis, for this piece of magic. Um, <laughs> if you go to CritAcademy.com, you can find the blog with all the details of our notes and these UTTs, so I have a naked suspicion that he's a big fan of the franchise. Eh, maybe you know somebody's got to be watching it to make them have like four of them, or how many are there? 
<laughs> too many. I don't know. <laughs> One was too many. many. Yeah. <laughs> Enough. Uh, Ian, would you like to tell us about our ink? Counter pod, pod counter of the podcast. Now, this is the one you submitted for us to use last week when we were discussing the ultra modern. So, would you yes. like to tell us yeah. about it? All right, the unwilling creation. Okay. The players receive a mysterious message that comes with a flood of information, be it through a series of flashing images in their mind, a string of pictures on their phones. Hence, why it was for ultra modern because of technology and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Be a tablet. A letter was jumbled words and text that suddenly teleports in front of them, or a series of distorted audio through their comm links, or even in their general area. Though many elements aren't clear, there's a sense of fear from someone seemingly innocent and vulnerable, perhaps childlike, at- attached with it. The only thing that was clear was two words that almost seemed to come from a child. Help me. But... Should the players choose to try to piece the clue together, it can lead to a mystery that leads to a wizard's workshop, a lab of a corporation, or even the basement of a psychologically questionable scientist. <laughs> we don't say mad here. We say psychologically <laughs> questionable. <laughs> this will lead to the players finding someone or something, such as a sophisticated computer AI who may be sentient a magically grown homunculus, a child who was subjected to the experiments that manifest psychic gifts. Whatever the players discover, regardless of the intentions of the captor, they have discovered something that is new, something potentially dangerous, and it wants out. Okay. I really like this a lot. I do too. I like the whole, like, innocence of the child in the very beginning, Mm -hmm. because it sets up something... Because that just leads to worlds already, right? You have no idea what's going to happen from this point. Because there's a child in front of you, and this has helped me. You're like, oh, oh boy. Right. Are you looking for your mom, or are you subjected to (laughs) horrible experiments uh, from a a weird scientist guy? I don't know. We're going to find out. And obviously, because this was made from ultra modern, but you can make it like a wizard or somebody, something like that, an alchemist. So. Um, you can easily twist this to fit whatever setting you want, but, um, I thought this was really clever and really cool. What do you think about it there, Matt? Um, this is very interesting. I can see this happening in ultra modern, but I like to see it happen in a, in a classic D and D setting. Just to Again. see what, just to see what happens. Yes, this to me seems like something that brings back the old age question of, uh, you know, if you had a time machine, time machine, could you go back and take out baby Hitler? You know, something like that. Because clearly, this kid has got problems and it's dangerous, but it's not really their f- fault at this moment, right? But could it lead to them becoming like a, a, a crazy, psychotic killer? Perhaps. Mm-hmm. That's kind of and what like, I envision. And like I said, maybe be what is imprisoned is imprisoned for a very good reason. Like uh, picture like the kid from Brightburn, for example. <laughs> oh my God, yes. Maybe <laughs> or, or, or the uh, Purple Man from uh, Jessica Jones. That, those are good examples, um, where you've got a kid that potentially Kilgrave. Yeah, yeah. To the to the adventurers, they are. It is, seems innocent and sweet, but it turns out it was in there because it went on a massacre and killed everybody. So, uh-huh. I, I like stuff like this. I love moral ambiguity. Uh, my players know that. I like putting you in situations where right isn't necessarily right, um, mm-hmm. but needs to be done. So, it could be a whole nature versus nurture argument too. So, yep. <laughs> yep. I agree. Lots of I'll, moral ambiguity, fun stuff. 
<laughs> like it. Like it, love it, share it. All right, that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast, The Unwilling Creation. Fun stuff. Matt, would you like to tell us about the magic item that we have pulled from the Explorer's Guide of Wildmount? Sure thing. This is a dispelling stone. It is a wondrous item, very rare. This smooth, rainbow-colored, egg-shaped stone can be thrown up to 30 feet and explodes in a 10-foot radius sphere of magical energy on impact, destroying the stone. Any active spell a fifth or lower in the sphere ends. Huh. I love this. Uh, it's basically the spell grenade. Yes. Yep. I, I love it. And I love it for two reasons. One, I love what it does. Secondly, I love that it's destroyed in the process. Um, <laughs> consumable. It makes it a consumable object, which I have no problem giving out to my players because it's one of those is now the moment. It's like Krillin with the spirit bomb energy. When mm-hmm. will I know is the right moment to use this? Was it yep. that moment? Shit, that guy died. It probably was that moment, but there might be a worse situation later. You right. Know? And, and I, I, I love it because... Damn it, why didn't I think of it first? <laughs> yeah. Um, a small little item to help the group, especially the all melee with no magic users, um, deal with powerful magics. Yeah, especially if yeah, they have a good arm. Yeah. The, be- the best thing is I like <laughs> it for my monsters to use against my players. Ooh, that'd be fun. Oh, you're hiding behind that cute shield. That's sweet. Gone. <laughs> don't need an eye yeah. beholder I think... <gasps> what if it was made out of the eye of a beholder that'd be cool too oh that's awesome yeah okay. I think the mighty knight have picked this up sometime and failed to use it in terms <laughs> of throwing it like just like <laughs> threw it and it like dropped out of their hand one of those fails I think um, I think no distance wise they kind of nailed it but direction wise they were kind of off <laughs> They threw it the oh. wrong direction? <laughs> well, not entirely opposite, but just veer off to the left or right of a target or something. Hmm. If you throw this onto a... Well, no, that's a feature. I was thinking, if you throw this onto a druid, does they, like, shapeshift back? But that's a feature, not magic. So. Yeah, it's yeah. not considered magic. Because this although, specifically says a spell. Although, yes. the spelling stone uh, says that it had the anti-magic field uh, blast that would probably be the case. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, because this this specifically says like a spell of fifth level or lower. So yeah, it's that's not be an active spell too. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it's not. It's not uh, an anti magic field. It's an anti magic spell enter- thing. Yeah. So that seems. I don't know if that wording was intentional or not. I mean, I think it I was intentional. It is, so. Anyways, I think this is really cool. I would love to have this, and I the reason I included this is because I'm stole, stealing it for my campaign. So, all you guys that use magic, be prepared. Just like so, uh, all three of us? Yeah, all of you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess Brandon's not involved no more, so. Brandon, we miss you. Currently. <laughs> I miss my gun mage, actually. Watching it blow <laughs> shit up was like watching a baby toddler walk for the first time. Ugh. Oh. Had to bring that up. <laughs> I think that'll do it for our magic item of the podcast from the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, the Spelling Stone. 
Old Woo! Handy says Fjord threw it, but it was in a cone that already cancelled electrical effects, so... <laughs> so it was wasted! That's hilarious! <laughs> oh. oh, man. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Handy. <laughs> Austin, would you like to tell us about our Dungeon Master tip today? Always! Uh, today's Dungeon Master tip is Legendary Adventuring Groups. Enhance your campaign world by including the exploits of other <laughs> renowned adventuring parties, whether it's Vox Machina, the Mighty Nine, or a previous group that the party had run in the past. See, this to me is really cool because I actually, when I wanted to DM for my group for a little while, I always wanted to have like a group that was uh, like this NPC group that was always kind of with them. Kind of, not like actually like, you know, standing with them, but they were doing the same they were undergoing stuff. similar events with them, right? So then they kind of became this like rival group, as like Ooh, I would envision. I like and, that. And uh, eventually, uh, they would, you know, either a they would either befriend them. Maybe it's kind of unlikely. The intention was they were going to eventually fight them, and it would be this. Uh, maybe they struck down. Um, blanking on her name right now. Holy cow! Can't help the, you. The angel. Fallen angel. <laughs> Maybe they struck down Zariel. That's what I was thinking. Zariel? Yes. And, like, they're holding the something particular, and they, you know, they, they have the item that they may have gotten, I think, from Zariel. I don't know. Maybe they had some... I don't remember exactly. But the point is, they're going to see them, and then instead of, like, you know, like, they're preparing for Zariel, right? They're like, oh, we got to fight this fallen angel. And, like, they see the group who has already triumphed, and then they have to fight them so they can save... Elturel, right, which right. is kind of like the cool part, but that is that was, really cool. That was my idea of it, so I was going to tweak the ending, and that was going to be the fun uh, part. But. Well, the reason I, I came up with this not only for the topic we're discussing, but I just started adding notes to our current campaign to include the mm -hmm. the Azure Crows, which is your previous adventuring party, into yep. the story. And I was like, you know what? Everyone should do that because having a known um, something to compare to could be really fun as a DM to insult players with or praise them with. Imagine, if you will, your group of adventurers walks into a village that has been under siege repeatedly by bandit or by, let's say, orcs, and you have been tasked with rescuing them from this horrible raiding that's going on. And there's a, the pot, we'll use the Mighty Nine as an example to fit stick with the theme. And the entire time you accept this, he's like, there's, 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 uh, NPCs that are saying, I wish we had the help of Vox Machina or the Mighty Nine. Instead, we've got these Ooh. guys. Um, so, so what ends up happening is you slay the orcs and you stop them from raiding and then you go on your way. And later on, you hear tales of a group of bandits who raided that village and took it over because the only thing that was holding back the bandits was the orcs. And so the Vox Machina or the Mighty Nine or whoever the other adventuring group had to come in and clean up your mess. And so, oh, man. So now there's a constant spew from your BS of what you did and how you had to be saved by another group of adventurers. And I think that that could be just so much fun. I can agree to that. That'd be really interesting. Again, whole point is add in some really like just again legendary adventuring groups. Just a great idea. You guys should just probably use it. Yeah, That's and great. and the other thing is that 
when you do this, you could hear whispers of, while you're doing your own little exploits, hey, you saved the village from the orcs, you might hear rumors of the, you know, the Vox mighting, uh, Vox Machina and their battle with Vecna that just went underway or that just finished or, or, you know, something along those lines. It makes it, the world feel like there's other adventures out there and you can hear about the sort of stuff they're doing, which will hopefully encourage the players to want to get to that level. Alternatively, what you can even do with that is if your players actually, of course, you know, start to get to that level of heroism that they are, you can actually start saying like, oh, you know, these guys kind of remind us of Vox Machina. It's almost like we have the Mighty Nine here, you know, or (laughs) the Mighty Three. (laughs) Yeah, except now there's only three. Yeah, but you know, whatever. That's funny. But you can do stuff like that. So like, as they're getting stronger, you can add to like their fame, which uh, which I always thought was cool. Um. In uh, particularly when I was doing um, the World of Darkness uh, series, so like uh, Vampire the Masquerade, or in my case was the Vampire the uh, the Dark Ages, uh, there is actually like a fame like point there. thing. Yeah, and I loved that. Like I always was like, oh yeah, dude, I'm gonna invest so hard in this because I want to be fucking famous. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to walk around, people are like, holy shit, it's that guy, and I'm like, yeah, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I know me. in Shadowrun they do track like uh, both fame, notoriety, and well, it's also how notorious you are. So you might be famous mm-hmm. just for, for the wrong reasons, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> so like that kind of stuff to me was always really cool. Right. So I don't know. Do that. What do you think, That's Matt? Cool. How would you like to run into Vox Machina or hear their name or Mighty Nine's name pulled up in your campaign in your adventures? Uh, <laughs> because it's. Because we're using uh, Vox Machina and the Mighty Nine, and I've seen them a lot, don't expect what you've heard. <laughs> That's funny. Person- in terms of personality, don't expect what you've heard. <laughs> That's funny. Um. All right. I think that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast, the Legendary Adventuring Groups. Do we want to try to see if we can line this up? If it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. All right. I'll just say it then and we'll move on. Yeah. Our player tip of the podcast is don't be a dick. And you can avoid dickitude by including powerful allies in rival relationships. Ooh. Now, this is a, a, a very much a condensed part of the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. Um, even before your character's adventuring career begins, they had allies who supported them. Um, Mm. and they had competitive rivals, you know, your allies may have been, you know, family, friends, um, local militiamen, local priests, you know, what have you. Um, but what makes it interesting is how can you tie your character to an ally and a rival? So the, one of the examples they give for a rival would be, you thought you had killed this family member. Whether by accident or otherwise, you never expected to see them again, but now they're out for your blood. This is interesting because now you've got a direct tie to something that happened in your past, some sort of event. And what's cool is if you left it bland like that, the DM can roll on it. Mm-hmm. Not, not roll like dice, but just roll with it um, right. and say, okay, well, what did happen? Does your character remember? Maybe they pull you aside and have a little discussion about this because they want to introduce this person. Or maybe you've got this tiny little line and then, you know, a half a year into the campaign, 
you run into this big bad mother effort with the mask on, he reveals after stomping your ass to the ground to re- be the cousin that you thought you pushed off a cliff. Well, you pushed off a cliff by mistake, right? But he doesn't know it's by mistake, so he's been hunting you down all this time. And to me, that's interesting because it gives story and lore for the DM to tug on. Now, one of the ally examples is this family member caused you to have a horrible accident when you were a child. They still feel incredible guilt, which they would do anything to alleviate. Hmm. Once again, it's bland enough that, well, what was the horrible accident? Oh, you're a dragonborn. Maybe you weren't born a dragonborn. Maybe some some magical accident turned you into one, right? Um, Maybe you've got a severe scar. Maybe you're an amputee. Maybe you're blind, you know? Maybe... You can tie that sort of ally into your story and your flavor features. But what's interesting is beyond that, when in a time of need, you can call on that person when you need help. For me, oh, Brandon, you're not here? Well, that's okay. Allie, my ally Billy owes me a life debt. He's going to come fill in for you. <laughs> or something like that. Or maybe you need... Right, right. Need... Um, somebody to deliver a message and they have to go through, you know, dangerous situations. It basically gives the DM something to pull on from your past and make it personal as well as gives you something to tie directly to your character's backstory and help build an interesting backstory. What do you guys think? Um, <laughs> well, mine is more on the emphasis of the powerful allies. Um, and this has happened with uh, critical role uh, months ago. Um, both parties, um, have met, um, an arcanist, uh, from Tal'Dorei, uh, including the Mighty Nine, and the whole player group was just freaking out that it's the same character, but it's with the, but it's with the, their new characters Hmm. this time. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. That is really cool. So they run into a powerful group of allies that is their past, their other characters. Is that what you said? Yeah. That is cool. Effectively, I think. Yeah. Okay. I can, I yeah, I can, I can get behind that. Or in front Alternatively, of that. maybe they're the rivals. Maybe you did something <laughs> really bad and you slandered their name. You're like, oh, the Azure Crows? Fuck those guys. They didn't do anything. <laughs> they weren't there for us. Or they weren't there for us. Or have the allies or rivals just keep popping within the campaign? I, I I can just picture it. For example, where uh, the party is going through like this uh, old dungeon to try to uh, get this old artifact. But when you get there, to, like the pedestal was supposed to be, all you see is a note that says, "You shall remember this once again as the day you almost beat Oslo Bronzehand to the treasure." <laughs> Oslo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, if that becomes a reoccurring theme, how awesome would it be? Or 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 this. This I've seen in cartoons and shit before too, where you've got the heroes at the very end and they're trying to overcome the challenge, and then the rival swoops in while they're dealing with the threat, steals the object, and then leaves while they're still fighting the threat. It's like oh, we're doing man. all the work. <laughs> right, man. Oh or my you- gosh. Or the party is fighting a boss in the hard fought fight. Everybody, boss and party included, is down to their last legs. Out of the blue, an arrow whistles off nowhere. I killed the back guy! <laughs> I'd still I still 
Oh, oh my gosh, that's great. Um, now <laughs> this is something that came directly out. There is a huge section on allies and rivals and everything mm-hmm. that happens inside this book. It's pages long. Um, and it is just a great piece of advice when building your story and your world. Oh, I didn't touch on it very much, but the one thing that they did really, really well is the focus is less on the DM doing the work and more on here's what you guys can do as a group to help fill out the world. And this was one of those, one of those things. So, um, I think that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't be a dick. And you could avoid dickitude by including powerful allies and allies and rival relationships in your backstories. Yeah. Woo. That was actually was, that was pretty good. It wasn't super long. Wasn't super short. I like it. Um, I uh, hope you guys will uh, join us next week when we're going to try to do what we can to catch them all. We are going to be visiting the Pokemon Pokedex 5E Kanto region. These Uh, guys have statted out all 151 original Pokemon as monsters in 5th edition. That'd be interesting. And I am super, I am serious. And I am super excited to cover it because, hell yes. I grew up with this stuff. I loved it. And, oh my God, just playing, running into these monsters, even if you don't call them by their name. Um, you imagine seeing Mewtwo, dude? He's going to like, what is this thing? I don't know. It's like some weird. Something. And this guy just goes like, and you just go. <laughs> being psychic uh, and shit yeah so i'm really excited to talk about that next week so hopefully you guys will join us for uh join us for that um austin do you want to take that first sign off segment and then we can have uh our buddy matt take the third one and then ian the last one there sure if you have any feedback unearth tips and tricks or topics you would like us to discuss please send them to us you can email them to us at critacademy at gmail.com or you can find us on twitter and facebook at crit academy uh and and honestly everywhere else we're kind of on all the main platforms of social media yes we hope you've enjoyed your experience here at crit academy if you did you can help others find the show by leaving a hopefully five-star review on itunes or just send us a message telling us how much you enjoy the show. Also, be sure to give us a like and share. Make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com. Follow us on Twitch TV slash CritAcademy and subscribe on YouTube so we can help you on your future adventures, as well as a chance to win cool prizes each and every week. And also, make sure to check out our fellowship members as well. Absolutely. First of all, can I just say kudos to Ian. He has been taking snippets from the show for our DM tips, player tips, magic items, monster variants, and putting them up as individual little two or two to five minute video clips. Um, Mm -hmm. And they are very cool and they're segmented very nice. And can I just say you did a good job, including the nice little artwork. So um, lots of digging has to be done. Yeah. (laughs) I'm waiting for him to get to at least five a week. So he's at least doing as many as we put out for the show, but that might be some time away as long as he's still in engrossed by his 3d printer. (laughs) (laughs) And actually work. (laughs) So, um, yeah, make sure to check out our fellowship members at criticademy.com slash crit nation. Check out Gabe and Jeff from inner party conflict every week. They answer your questions 
like awesome professionals. Their show is fantastic and glorious. Can't recommend it enough. Also, also check out the only actual play uh, on the podcast, the Brute Force and Ignorance show. Those guys are from all over the world and are absolutely hilarious. One of the there's one of the few actual plays that I actually do listen to, um, <laughs> and that's not because they're part of the Crit Nation Fellowship. That's because they're actually really really good not to say i don't got anything for matt mercer but there's so many episodes to play catch up on i'm only on like 80 80 something how many how many episodes of the first season are there uh there um i think 114 115 oh so there's light at the end of the tunnel yeah and that's not including one shots specials that they did so lots of good stuff (laughs) Uh, well, that'll do it for the show today. Oh, I just want to say that it looks like Steve's got an eight-year-old daughter that would rock her world to run into Pokemon. So (laughs) that's the reason I want to do it, because it's exciting. Yeah, Vegeta, it's a Chiaotzu. I'm not a Pokemon. (laughs) Never. No. Old Handy DK says, my four-year-old just started... Uh, the original series last week. Now I'm excited about this. Oh, Ooh. awesome. Well, let's hope we excite everybody. Let's tickle your dice. I am your host, Justin. I'm your guest, Matthew. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your co-host, Austin. Thank you for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. <laughs> <laughs>